Welcome to Constantinople, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. My name is Megan Muller, and today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Uh, this is our first podcast of this kind, but we're going to start uh, pretty much every other week doing a podcast that we're going to call the Constantinople Forum. The way this podcast is going to work is uh, we're going to have a group of faculty from our school get together and discuss a common text. It might be a poem, it might be a quotation uh, from a book, it might be uh, any number of things, but it will be short. It will be the only thing that we discuss, and uh, we're going to just try to have a good conversation. Some of us will uh, be familiar with the text, some of us won't. Um, our goal is just to uh, work together on learning in community and letting you guys uh, who are listening share in in that. So uh, I've already introduced myself. Why don't we go around and say who else is here? Uh, my name is Jane Mikey. I'm the Director of College Affairs for the College at St. Constantine, and I also teach theater in our lower school. I'm Timothy Bartell. I am the Assistant Professor of Great Texts and Writing uh, at the College of St. Constantine, and I also give lectures on literature for our high schoolers. I'm David Gilbert, and I'm the Dean of Middle and Upper School for St. Constantine School, and I'm an Instructor of Great Texts and Philosophy. All right, great. Um, so I think the first thing we should do, so that in case people who are listening don't have the text in front of them, um, I think we should have a couple different people read it out loud. Uh, we're going to be discussing today the New Colossus, the poem by Emma Lazarus. Um, so I think we'll read it out loud just a couple of times, kind of ruminate uh, in just the language of the poem, and then uh, we'll get started. Does anybody want to volunteer to read the poem first? Yeah, I will. All right, awesome. The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed, sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beaconed hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands, your story pop, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Exclamation mark. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right, does anybody else want to take a whack at it? I shall. All right. The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest-tossed, to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. 
fantastic. Where do we start? One thing that's standing out to me, uh, and obviously the last few lines of this are probably what people know most, but I think it's interesting that it starts with a, uh, a the denial of a simile at the beginning. It's not like, I think I usually think of poetry as, your smile is like a rose, or your eyes are like the sea. But Lazarus seems confident enough to start by telling us what it's not like, even before she tells us what it is, which is interesting to me. It makes the title sort of strange, because she's saying mm -hmm. it's the new one of these things, but it's mm -hmm. also not like the old one at all. Mm -hmm. Or at least it's not in something that she's saying is an important way, making that distinction. In what way isn't it like the brazen giant of Greek fame? Well, it says with conquering limbs to strike from land to land. But that's not what I think of when I think of conquer, conquering limbs, I think of. Mm -hmm. um, but it says brazen giant. Mm -hmm. um, brazen is like rash or... Yeah. Overconfident. Overconfident, yeah. Is it important to note that this is the poem on the Statue of Liberty? Are we bringing that sort of detail into it, or should we just kind of just Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think it is important. I think it's also important to acknowledge that the new Colossus is because there's an old Colossus that was a wonder of the ancient world, mm -hmm. uh, the Colossus at Rhodes, who was a big dude, mm -hmm. and he was standing, well, actually, they think that this is actually not the case anymore, from what I understand, but in the olden days, he got knocked down. He wasn't, he wasn't up for very long, so we don't have any, there are no photographs, there aren't really depictions of what that would have looked like, we've guessed, but the, the guess was that it was a very tall, giant statue that had one leg on each side of the entrance to the harbor. So he was sort not doing the splits, but his legs are wide open and the ships are sailing through under his legs to get into the port at Rhodes. So those conquering limbs astride from land to land, you're you know, imagining a really tall male figure who's got one foot planted on each side of the harbor, and then everyone that comes in or out of that port city is um, passing below this giant, imposing, brazen, mighty statue. I, I should confess that I did not know that this was the poem that was on the Statue of Liberty. Um, I, and the only line I knew was the, give me your tired, you're poor, your humble mess is yearning to breathe free. It's kind of a stupid question. Is this entire poem on the Statue of Liberty? As far as I know it is. I haven't actually never been to the Statue of Liberty. I've seen it from afar, from a few miles away in the base of Manhattan, but I've never gone up, gone up close. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's on a plaque. I also have not been up close to it. Okay. From what I understand, it's on a plaque at her feet. And pictures I've seen of it, it's sort of, it's in bronze, it has a bronze border, and the, the words are sort of raised off of the bronze. Uh, the problem is the border, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, is a little too narrow to get all the lines, and so they have to like, like... Uh, it's a jam. Oh, yeah, and jam some, some of the words over, and it looks weird to me, but I don't know. That's a, we're not talking about the design features of the <laughs> <laughs> It's like copying and pasting HTML. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> They were doing their best. It was a long drive, yeah. Um, Go ahead, Jane. One of the things that I noticed um, about the comparisons that she's drawing is especially like linguistically. In the beginning, 
She uses the words brazen and conquering, astride. These are all very sort of upfront and in your face, almost violent language, um, which is in keeping with uh, roads, really, like where the Colossus stood. It's a trade city. It was militarized. It was a fortress. Um, and that's where he was uh, set. But the Statue of Liberty, like the comparison that she draws is a mighty woman. Um, and a woman, first of all, is a big comparison, like mm-hmm. uh, opposite of a man. <laughs> it's a Don't real, put that it's a, real, it's a real big opposite of a man. I, I think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's the juxtaposition. So the opposite of something brazen and conquering is still a mighty woman, but a woman named mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and a beacon as opposed to a conquering symbol. Yeah, it's mother of exiles. If, if there is a conquering brazen giant, he would create exiles. Mm-hmm. He would not receive exiles. Right, and even if he did, it would be in an entirely different context. So if you're imagining coming to Rhodes and seeing the Colossus, like unless you are there as like a free person, if you are the conquered, you're coming into a new city and that's the welcoming symbol is a conquering giant. It's a symbol of your uh, suppression as opposed to what uh, Lazarus is offering is the idea of someone that's inviting people into a new land. Um, even though there are similarities, the sea-washed sunset gates, it's still this notion of journeying by sea into a new place. Mm-hmm. I, I love this um... She says, you know, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand this new type of colossus with the final line, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. It's gone from being a sunset gate to a golden door. When I I think about gates, I think about trying to keep things out or keep things in. It's much more, um, it's a barricade. Mm -hmm. Uh, A door is an entrance. It's not a barrier. I mean, it it is a barrier in one sense, but it's also something to be opened and to be um, crossed through, whereas a gate is not necessarily going to be that same thing. So I, I just, I like this sort of, you know, your Colossus is for intimidation. It's, uh, it's a, yeah, it's, it's designed to uh, make sure people know that the land that they're entering into is one that is powerful, wealthy. We're able to construct this giant statue because we've got plenty of extra metal lying around. Um, it was, wasn't it constructed in France? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the, the Colossus at Rhodes. But yes, oh, the Statue okay. of Liberty was constructed in France. Um, but ours isn't a gate. It's not here to intimidate people. It's actually, we're going to shine a light from ours to make sure that people who are lost or uh, less than can find their way to this to this statue. Because we're a door. We're a door mm-hmm. welcoming you in. We're not... Um, a big scary dude trying to you know intimidate you on your way. Well, and I wonder if the contrast of limbs and eyes is important here because we have the conquering limbs which connect the land to land on either side of, of the entrance. And but then there's her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that Twin Cities frame. So this is at the mouth of the Hudson. Um, I remember correctly, there's New York City on one side and Brooklyn on the other. Um, it seems like there's not limbs that connect the two uh, the two land masses on either side of the harbor. It's air and her gaze, her mild eyes. 
I'm not sure all of the implications of that, but that seems important. Conquering limbs as opposed to mild eyes as being the thing that connect the land masses. But they're also mild eyes that command. Yeah. Which, so the, the language still has the power. Mm -hmm. It's just not, it's not as aggressive, mm -hmm. but it still has the same amount of power. She's subverting the expectation. She's, you have a giant statue who's holding a torch. In most contexts, that would be an intimidating, almost violent image. But it is a woman with mild eyes who is supposed to be a mother of exile, and the flame is imprisoned. Right. Yeah, it's I don't. Not, I don't I'm not totally sure I understand that the imprisoned lightning, because it, it, it seems like there's this. The description of her is that she's welcoming and mild eyes and commanding, yes, but and, and strong, but very welcoming. I, I don't understand the imprisoned lightning as a description of the torch. I think part of that is the key. I think the key to that is in the imprisonment of it. That it's this thing that wouldn't under in other contexts and circumstances be dangerous, so flame or a torch, but since it's imprisoned in this uh, image and it's put in this different context, then it means something different. It acts as a beacon instead of a torch. It's also, um, it's recalling for me, because we're talking about you know, the Colossus at Rhodes, I'm thinking about ancient Greece. Mm -hmm. um, this language reminds me of Prometheus. Mm -hmm. um, she has a flame, and the flame is imprisoned lightning. So I'm thinking about Zeus, I'm thinking about what he uses lightning for, it's not great, it's violent, it's power, it's exerting that power over people. She has lightning imprisoned, and it's a flame that she's using to help people, similar to Prometheus, mm -hmm. doing something that kind of goes against what has been done in ancient times, what's been done traditionally, the way things have been, uh, the way things have been for people who are poor and huddled, and yearning. Uh, she's using something violent and dangerous, lightning, Zeus's power, and it's captured, it's imprisoned, and now it's a flame that's being used to help people. It just, yeah, it just makes me think of the story of Prometheus. I think that helps me understand the command as well. She's commanding the harbor to continue being the place of welcome, as opposed to letting it slip into a place of intimidation or um, forced submission. Seems like even if you're a free king sailing into Rhodes, you have to physically bow to the Colossus to get under it. Um, or at least you feel like you're bowing to it because you're going under it. Seems like her command is, we are keeping this a place of welcome. A worldwide welcome. The ancient lands are being told she's so powerful that she can cry out with silent lips. I mean, obviously that's because she's a statue. So her lips don't move. So if we're going to say she's talking, let's be clear, she's not literally talking, she's a statue. But there's the, the power of her message can be cried out uh, without her lips moving at all. And the thing that she's saying is, keep ancient lands, your storied pomp. I feel, I feel like that, that's such a solid American mm -hmm. phrase. <laughs> it's a real burn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the old world... Uh, lover in me is like, I like the story of Pompeii. <laughs> right, like, yeah. can, can we have some of that too, please? Yeah, I mean, that's bold, right? When we think of welcoming the world, often we think, of, oh, welcoming in, you know, the rich cultures and traditions. She's like, eh, story pomp, keep it away. Uh, maybe I'm not exactly sure what story pomp means. The pomp of it seems to be, seems to suggest the finery and celebration of finery. 
of the of the old world, which is obviously contrasted with the poor and the huddled and the tired. But the, I guess it's the story word that that gives me a little bit of pause. I took that to mean history, because the association with the Statue of Liberty, especially at this um, juncture in history, was one of like a new beginning. Like yeah. the immigration to a new land means that you get to leave behind the um, the storied pomp of your ancient land. And then she goes on to say, you know, it's the wretched refuse of the teeming shore. Mm-hmm. So even though there is storied pomp in ancient lands, like the people that are coming to the Statue of Liberty and seeking asylum are the refuse of those lands, the people that had no place in the storied pomp. Yeah. Okay, so maybe the pomp uh, the story doesn't mean um, we have pomp because we have lots of stories in history. It's you're famous for being pompous, right? The pomp is what we tell stories about. Yeah. Oh, Europe, they're pompous. They reject people. It also could be um, they, they tell the story of their pomp at the expense of, they yeah. neglect to mention that their shores are teeming yeah. with refuse, you know? Yeah. So, uh it's, it is, of course, strange because the statue was given to America by France, a land of story yes. pomp. <laughs> um, but, you know, but perhaps there's also sort of this, uh, this sort of, if you're, if you're going to be fake about it, we don't want any part in it. If you're mm-hmm. going to neglect to remember that they, these things are both true. Yes, you have giant statues. Yes, you have beautiful buildings. Yes, you have hundreds of years, thousands of years of history and culture. Mm. Um, but if you're going to treat people the way you treat them, you can keep it. We'll do something different. We'll have the big, I mean, that's the other funny thing about this, right? It is our own big, beautiful statue. Like France gave America something that, you know, the Statue of Liberty is like our, whatever, Trevi Fountain, you know, Mike, yeah, yeah, Mike, you know, the David, it's, it's a big cultural symbol, art, piece of art that we associate, that everyone around the world associates with America. So in that sense, it is, it is our Colossus. Um, also, it's literally in our harbor where people can see it when they come to the, to the United States in those days uh, to Ellis Island for the first time. What do we think about this naming that happens in the center of the poem? Mother of Exiles. Yeah, that's a good question. It's interesting because we don't call the statue Mother of Exiles. I think if I was reading this and someone had said, oh, this is on the Statue of Liberty, I would expect for it to be, we call her name Liberty or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. And it's also capitalized. So it seems to be a very much, like, this is her name. Capital M, Mother, capital E, Exiles, Mother yeah. of Exiles. The the thing that I was thinking about in the last stanza, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these the homeless. Um, I was thinking about the distinction between conqueredness and motherlandedness mm-hmm. and the ways in which to name a statue the Colossus versus the Mother of Exiles, what you're inviting people into is not homelessness. Because if people in an ancient land, if those people as the refuse are already homeless in what should be their motherland, then what do we have to offer them? We have a new motherlandedness to offer them. 
yeah, this is the land of all those who haven't had a land. It's an interesting, it's an interesting paradox that I think as Americans maybe doesn't seem so paradoxical to us. Well, yeah, of course, people who don't have a home can come to America, but it seems like when Lazarus is writing in the uh, late 1800s, perhaps this would have struck, especially Europe. Well, I wonder, was, was, were Europeans who read this uh, shocked or even offended? Like, hey, what? you can't say that about us. Your statue's not even that great. Yeah, <laughs> we gave it to you. <laughs> yeah, it's bold, and I don't know, I, it's like David said, it's such an American thing to say. Like, you can keep your story, Bob. I'm gonna read it one more time. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Okay, something that just stuck out to me was the rhyme scheme. This is kind of an augmented Italian rhyme scheme. Italian is usually something like A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A, C, D, E, C, D, E. But she dispenses with that E rhyme. It's just A, B, B, A, fame, land, stand, flame. Name, hand, command, frame. So A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A. But then it's just C, D, C, D, C, D. It's she, poor, free, sure, me, door. What's especially cool and a little bit daring, I feel like, as uh, for her as a poet, is she rhymes fame, flame, frame, which is, those are almost all three the same word. It's just one consonant's different in each of them. There's a, there's a strong sonic connection between fame, flame, frame. Then you have free, which brings back the fur sound. Sound-wise, sound-wise, there's a there's a lot of similarity. She's she's not allowing herself as many rhyme different rhyme structures as a Italian sonnet would allow. I'm not sure why. Maybe breaking with the form of well, yeah, storied pomp of yeah, songs. yeah. It seems like part of the storied pomp is hey, we're the we're the literary center of the world. Um, and she's giving, she's giving the old world that's doing this. This is a sonnet, but she's changing up some things. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose in one sense, at a very, very high level, you could say Lazarus is still retains most of the storied pomp of the ancient lands in the fact that she chooses a sonnet to write. She could have written in Whitman's free verse. We all thank her that she didn't, uh, but <laughs> also it would be hard to fit Whitman's really long lines on, on the That's right. If this was bothering you on the plaque, just imagine uh, trying to get a 400-line 
paragraph long and lines. With the score specs, the Whitman is like nine font. Um, <laughs> you know, you could you could always just make that zero font, and not, we don't have to read it. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. oh super <laughs> The poet has spoken. <laughs> well, so so I mean, I think this is very interesting. She's she's writing a poem that is sticking it to the old world. She's saying you have have at the very least neglected your people, and we will be their home. And you can keep all of your self-satisfied grandeur. And yet she's using one of the older poetic forms of the old world. This goes back at least to the to the uh, late 1300s with Petrarch, uh, and arguably Dante has sonnet-like poems. So she's using a, at her point, 400-year-old, almost 500-year-old form to talk about the newness. And it's also ascribed to a, a giant statue in a classical form. Yes. And it has its own mythos, its own pomp, its own story. That it's new. It, yeah, it's brand new, but it is it's, um, a kind of storied pomp that's sort of creating about America. Yeah. Yeah. So all the elements of a city with a great statue symbol are there. Mm -hmm. It's just it. There's an American twist on all. We write poems about our big statues that have lots of significance for us as a culture. It just happens that we are the culture that takes in the exile. We are the culture that rejects the pomp of other lands, especially when it's exclusionary pomp. It also so, says we're not only new in time. We're not, this isn't just the new Colossus because it was erected very recently. Uh, okay. We're not just the new country because we were founded you know, just about 100 years ago when this poem was written, a little bit more than 100 years ago, it's, we're new in type. Yeah. We're, we're a new kind. This is a new kind of statue. This is a new kind of country. Uh, we, just because we're young and new in that way, doesn't mean that we're trying to become what all these other countries have been in ancient times and in history with their storied pomp. We're, we're not going to try to do that. We're not trying to make up for being new by erecting fancy statues. We're actually sort of throwing our fancy statue in the face of what people would expect us to want to be when we grow up as a nation. Yeah, that's a good point. This is post-Civil War. America has kind of proven itself, at least to be able to weather a civil war. It's proven itself on the world stage with the Revolutionary War, War of 1812, uh, westward expansion has gone all the way to the West Coast. There, there is sort of a, hey, America has arrived. And then a statement, yeah, but we're, we're new. I like that a lot. It's bold. And it makes using the, 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 the template of a sonnet um, that much more powerful. And I like, uh, Tim, the, the language you pointed out with the, the F rhyming with fame and flame and frame. The language is concentrated. It's very potent. Um, which I think fits the message, which is brazen in its own way. Mm -hmm. Maybe not brazen like the, the old culture. It's, it's not a conquering brazen, but right. it's, a, it's a different kind. She's, she's, she's standing there commanding and very, very tall. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's brazenness. It's just mm -hmm. not a, I think it's just not a conquering brazen. Brazen, of course, she's, that's a double entendre there. Brazen also just means it's made of brass. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not brazen 
even though it's brazen, or its brazenness is in its non-brazenness. She's being sly. Does anybody know what the statue of liberty is made of? Yeah, she's a rust-robed colossus. She's turned green. What metal turns green? Copper. Exactly. Copper. Yeah. Thank you. Like pennies, you know, like pennies get all gross. Or the old church domes. Yeah. They're copper, and so now they're sort of yeah. So the Statue of Liberty, and that's another weird thing that I think that I think about. Like the Statue of Liberty, when she was put there, would have been like a brand new copper penny, right? Like really, really shiny. And we don't think of her that way. She looks almost like she's made of stone to us Mm -hmm. because she's so rusted over she has developed a, a patina of, of age which they would have known would have happened to her but at the time she was a big shiny like a brand new penny mm. kind of like the country hmm. and she would have been really shiny so it wouldn't have just been the flame and the torch like she would have been like imagine the sun glinting off the ocean off of a giant shiny metal statue so i i like the idea that there's rust on the statue of liberty um and thinking about this poem, because there is rust on American history, of mm-hmm. course, um, and that makes me think. That, I mean, this poem is still applicable; like it's still an aspiration or an ideal that people that the United States has and wants to present itself as. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that comes through twofold in a way that we've already mentioned, which is that she's using an ancient form to write a new poem about a new land that is modeled after an ancient form of a republic. Um, a Greek form. <laughs> and then uh, we have a statue, we have a piece of art that symbolizes what we are, that is built in a classical style. Tim, you want to read the poem one last time and then... Yeah. I have a kind of a big question about okay. the poem, but I don't... Go for no, it. We have time, time for it. I'll read it. Well, so I, I want to say, it, say the question and then read it again. Uh, I think New Colossus, and poets are always uneasy when this takes place in culture. The New Colossus, especially like you said, David, uh, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, your lean to breathe free. When poems come into the cultural consciousness to the extent that they almost seem like founding documents, right. uh, this has happened with Wilfred Owen's World War I poems in, in Britain. They, they, are, uh, they are part of the official natural uh, requiem um, music that was written to commemorate it and is played every so often in Britain. Uh, that's happened to this too. What what do we do with a poem that's become so foundational to us philosophically? What, what do we do with it? Can we actually place upon this a sort of canonical status of this is officially American doctrine or this is officially American thought? Uh, it wasn't written to be that, uh, though it's become that. But poets feel uneasy about that, right? They're like, yay, poetry enters the cultural consciousness. Oh, no, this poem has become scripture. And, like, well, and, and sometimes maybe even, like, like a, a weapon of some sort, like political debate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like, you, you quote this and you are wielding an American idea. Yeah, if someone says, uh, I like the story pomp of the ancient world, not so much the wretched refuse, it seems like we could say, but Emma Lazarus, QED. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah can we do that? Uh, I'm going to read it again. Okay. The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land. 
Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name Mother of, Exile, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired. Your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. I think as I read it, I thought, ah, I think my real question is, uh, should this be seen as something that could be admitted as U.S. policy? Right. Is, is the new Colossus a piece of U.S. political policy? Because I think it's treated as that, or at least it's in our consciousness as that. When that happens to a poem, that's very interesting to me. It's very dangerous. Yes. Um, we haven't talked about too much about those last five lines, the thing that she's crying um, it's very, the language is very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, it makes me get choked up. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the image of these people and this welcome, uh, it's so brave, it's so bold, uh, it's so different. And it makes you proud. It makes you proud to be a part of it. Right. Um, it makes you feel passionate about that happening. Um, yeah, when, it, when a poem ends with this sort of ringing triumph about such an idealistic uh, prediction of how the future is going to go. I mean, putting this on the statue is a bold move. People were not amped on the number of people that were coming to America at that time. You know, um, it's a it's a bold proclamation and it's so emotionally yeah, uh, potent is just the word that I keep thinking of. The language is so powerful that it's it, I mean, now, you know, it's true, too. It's, it's kind of polarizing. Mm -hmm. it, if you disagree with it, the language is so powerful that it sort of makes you angry. Yeah. Like, how dare you so beautifully state a belief that I am, you know, opposed to intellectually because your language is filling everyone with emotions that mm -hmm. maybe are dangerous. Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, the danger of, of, of art. Yeah. I think that's a conversation we are especially having currently, given... All of the conversation. That's something I keep coming back to is the conversation of the importance of symbol, right? That she cries this with silent lips. She doesn't have to say it out loud. The fact that she's standing in the harbor holding the torch, it's supposed to say this. Mm -hmm. But it's that question of what a piece of art or what a statue represents to people is especially pertinent right now. Um, and they can mean a host of things. And it's something that our country is constantly struggling with is its own history and its own response to its actions and its self mm -hmm. and what it's supposed to be. It's something that we wrestle with. And I think the new Colossus is um, an especially aspirational thing that I don't know if we should treat it as American policy. Because as you were talking, I thought, yes, the new Colossus is a statue of liberty in words. And we've so, we've so identified those two things. Now, historically, she did write it and she donated it to an auction, and the auction was to raise money to build a pedestal to put the Statue of Liberty on. And then after she died, 
uh, people wanted to honor her. She died in the late 1880s. People wanted to honor her. Honor her. I think in 1903, they petitioned to have the poem put up on the statue. So she wrote it before the statue was even installed to raise money, and then it was posthumously put on the statue. But yeah, it sort of has become the official interpretation of the statue. So wait, so is is the worry that it it's dangerous? Is that uh, the new colossus entails an open immigration policy? Is that what you're saying? Um, if so it's accepted as policy, if it's accepted it's, as policy, then it seems like art is determining political policy. Now, as someone who loves Emma Lazarus, and Emma Lazarus was so important not just in her poetry, but she was important in um, working with the the Jewish immigrants who were coming over from persecution in Russia. Um, in the pogroms, like there's a whole like her political activism was really really important in the late 1800s, um, but it seems like and and I, I I'm unabashedly in favor of how she lived her life and what she chose to champion, but it seems dangerous when art can be so powerful that it sort of slips past our our reason perhaps and causes us to make political decisions. But my goodness, sometimes art is needed in order to, to soften hard hearts or, or clear up fuzzy thinking. So I don't know. As, as an artist, I'm very torn. By okay, this so now, now I'm curious about uh, uh, maybe some clarity here, because it could be that it's dangerous to lean or uh, use art as a policymaker or determiner because it's one individual writing something that's communicating something that is uh, determining policy. Yeah, we it's, not it's not democratic. Yeah, we look to view as confusion. No one says, and the poets who write the sonnets that will move us all toward political policies will be elected every four years. No, no one elected her. <laughs> so in that, in that sense, that could be dangerous because it's not democratic. On the other yeah. sense, it could be dangerous. It sounds like what you're saying maybe is if because it bypasses our reason and goes straight to our heartstrings. Sure, I mean, that that, that seems to be a, uh, once again, both a plus and a minus of art. But I, I think we could, oh, and this gets into the interestingness of the sonnet, the sonnet is not traditionally an emotional cry. The sonnet is traditionally an argument. It sets up a problem and develops the problem either into a solution or a new perspective on a problem. Uh, Shakespeare's love sonnets aren't, hey, you're so pretty for 14 lines. It's usually, hey, you're so pretty, and my desire for you is against my best uh, my best state, and so I'm going to fight against that. And maybe if I fight against that, then I'll have a new perspective on your beauty. He argues, he argues in sonnets. Sonnets can be arguments. So I don't know. This is all complicated. <laughs> I feel like we're also, we have to be careful because I think our, all of our tendencies is to say something can be so beautiful that it tricks me. Yes. So I'm tricked by beauty away from the truth. Um, I don't think just as a Christian, but probably as someone who tends toward the aesthetic, and this is probably not true of only me, um, I want to make sure that I'm checking myself to say if something is so beautiful that it makes me feel like it's true, but the practical application of it is a turnoff to me. Perhaps the problem isn't this art is tricking me out of my reasoned, rational political beliefs, but this art is confronting me because the beauty of it sounds right. This sounds true. 
if I am upset by its implications, perhaps the problem isn't with the art that's tricky, but with my ideas, which are not, um, not brave enough to take beauty as truth when it confronts me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the power this poem has because uh, the chronology, Tim, that you pointed out is so interesting to me because she's talking specifically about how the statue will be posted in the harbor. And the statue's not there yet. Yeah. She's talking about their statue was posted like this, one leg on each side. Ours is not. Ours is like this. Now, the statue has not been erected. The base has not been constructed. They're raising money for the base. But also, she's not sitting at the feet of this beautiful statue facing outward in the harbor, pointing, the Statue of Liberty's face is not pointing at the city. We're not, it's not self-congratulatory, right? Mm -hmm. She's facing the strangers. Her, her beauty, well now it's different because we have all these sweeping aerial, you know, helicopter videography of the Statue of Liberty that's like in every movie about New York City. Um, you don't get to enjoy the Statue of Liberty's beauty. She's got her back turned to the city of New York. Mm -hmm. Her front, the, the, the torch, her face, all of it is for these disenfranchised refuse people who are coming. But that isn't even true yet. Um, she's not being inspired by the power and the stance as it's been realized in front of her. She's able to sort of evoke all of those things um, without the visual aid, which mm -hmm. I think in conjunction with the poem makes it even more powerful. It's just incredible to me that she was able to achieve that um, yeah, it's like, you know, I'm going to sit at the Grand Canyon and write a poem about the Grand Canyon. Like, imagine writing poems about the Grand Canyon before it's constructed. Mm -hmm. And then those poems being erected at the Grand Canyon, everyone being like, that is exactly it. That is how that makes me feel. How did she do that? So it's a feat of the imagination, but I almost want to say that lends itself to a description of this poem as prophecy. Which yeah. once which which ups the sacrosanct level of it even more. <laughs> and I mean how I I I I'm torn, David, because you talked about the undemocratic nature of it. Yeah. But well, it also be because it, it would be an author. A, yeah. An individual author. But it's, it's also a private citizen, a woman, a Jew, who a lot often people a saw child of immigrants. Yeah. Often people saw her and sort of shunned her in literary circles because of her Jewish heritage. So in one sense, it is very democratic, right? She's, you know, not too many generations away from being on that teeming shore. I also find her name very spooky. Yeah, Emma, Emma Lazarus. 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 Right. I find yeah. it very spooky. Um, in, in a way that I'm like, ooh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, there just seem to be implications. Mm -hmm. For what it's worth, Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, saw her genius and, and helped support and patronize her. Uh, maybe one of the only great things that uh, Emerson did. did. Man, Tim, Tim coming out strong so, so with I'm these criticisms of well-loved American let, authors. Let me, let me, be, let me be honest. <laughs> I, uh, 19th century American poetry is my academic specialty, and so sometimes I have biases, uh, particularly against some of the transcendentalists like uh, Emerson and uh, and Whitman uh, that seem shocking. Uh, and I'm more on the side of the Lazaruses and the Longfellows and uh, Dickinson. Another another podcast we should uh, have you rant against Edgar Allan Poe. Yes, Edgar Allan Poe. It's not this podcast. No, no. Yeah. We'll, we'll, save, we'll save that one. I will not diminish his popularity, I think, 
my power is much more limited. <laughs> I do not hold the imprisoned lightning and any sort of uh, torch. Well, I think we could keep going. I think the question that Tim has brought has not been answered in any satisfactory way. Um, but I think we're going to have to let that happen. Yeah. We'll sit with it. We'll come back if we need to to this poem. Uh, this has been uh, Constantinople, a uh, podcast of the St. Constantine School. Thank you for listening.